Hello, this is Rick, and welcome to my next episode of one of my sub-podcasts, Words for Now and Later. Because I haven't done this podcast for a while, let me review what this podcast is doing. It is actually from a book, inspired by a book called The Dictionary of the Undoing by John Freeman. And in this book, he writes in the introduction, What if our capacity to imagine has been so badly damaged by the information climate of our times that destruction is all we can see? What if deforming our ability to ignore, to imagine the present is precisely what governments and power structures do to control us? And what if I told you we have the power to change this? I believe we do. To seize this power requires a radical change in perspective, however. To do so, we need to take one tool being vandalized before our very eyes, language, and reclaim it, and redefine what it means to be an ethical citizen in the present moment. Those words are on page 7, again in the Dictionary of the Undoing by John Freeman. So this podcast, I'm trying to do a couple of things. One is share with you, letter by letter, because it is a dictionary after all, what Mr. Freeman says about each of the letters in the very short chapters that he gives, give you a little bit of a taste of his quotes and his thinking, and then connect those thoughts to our present moment in the pandemic, and also connect those thoughts, that word, to the future, the future for the common good, which we hopefully, hopefully will create and strengthen and develop and expand over time as we move through and then beyond this time. So I appreciate your being here. Um, I'll be back after a short break and tell you about this letter, which is C for citizen. Well, thank you for staying with me through the break. The notes that I took from Mr. Freeman's book, um, I've had for a while, and I haven't recorded this podcast, obviously, but I got a sign yesterday that it is time, and here's why. Last night, my wife and I were talking about our governor, Mike DeWine. We live in Ohio, actually Columbus, Ohio, right in the capital city of Ohio. And one of the things that my wife, who is not as interested in politics and current events and so forth as I am, she commented on Governor DeWine, she said one of the things she likes about his daily two o'clock briefing is that when he talks, he talks with compassion to all of the people of the state. But most significantly, she says that he refers to the fellow Ohioans as citizens. He talks frequently using that word, that term, citizens. And I like that. And I think it is, for me, a sign that it is time to talk about C for citizen. Here's what Mr. Freeman says. He says, in times of extreme nationalism, the citizen gets smaller and smaller, narrower and narrower, until only a very tiny group can recognize themselves in this miniature frame. Page 23. He goes on to talk about why we need a shift in this. He says, quote, the citizen defined by who lives in a nation whose bodies are there, who occupies its territory and drinks its water and breathes its air. He's saying that should be the shift that we make. But a citizen isn't who holds a passport or a green card or documentation, but rather who is in the borders of a state or, in this case, a nation. He goes on to wonder 
What if we allowed all the living bodies on our borders to be citizens? How would it feel to live in such a place? Why have all religions fought so hard to resist this? Now, I think what he's saying there is that there is a lot of weight and power in defining who is and who isn't within the in-group, whether that is a citizen, whether that is uh, a person in a religion, these are the in, that is the out, and so forth. And I think what Mr. Freeman is saying is, how can we shift that? He goes on to conclude his short chapter on C for Citizen. How would it feel to live in such a place? He says, to use Christian terminology, is it not possible that when we were asked to mimic the kingdom of heaven on earth, this is what God meant? What if the main job as citizens is to make this possible? What kind of nation would that be? And I like the fact that Although I don't think he is a particularly religious person, I haven't picked that up in his bio or in his past work, Mr. Freeman, though, mentions the heart of Jesus's teaching, the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. A very quick word on this, because there's a lot of misconception about what it is. It's not heaven, eternity, that we go to after we die. What Jesus is talking about, what Jesus is pointing to, what Jesus is bringing is earth, our political systems, our social systems, our communal systems, what would those look like if the love of God, God who is love, reigned supreme? What would that look like? And I think that is what uh, Mr. Freeman is talking about. Now, I was going to record this podcast sooner back when the Wisconsin primary was going on a few weeks ago. You might recall that Unlike Ohio, where our governor in the early days of the pandemic closed our primary, shifted to mandatory voting by mail, which, by the way, was due yesterday. Uh, those needed to be postmarked yesterday. Uh, Wisconsin fought that. Now, their governor, who is a Democrat, supported vote by mail, suspending the primary. But the Republicans in the state house forced their issue. And it actually even went all the way to the U.S. Supreme Court saying that the election, the primary, would go on. Well, lo and behold, people turned out to vote in large numbers. Actually, there was an upset in the state Supreme Court um, electing a Democrat, a, a progressive, to that seat that was somewhat unexpected. But higher voter turnout allowed that to happen. Well, here's two things since the Wisconsin election. Number one, um, I'm looking at a Politico article, and I, I will post links to both of these articles on my website, where I will also post a link to this podcast. That is Ed Tech Emergent, E-D-T-E-C-H-E-M-E-R-G-E-N-T.com. Well, Politico reports yesterday that the Wisconsin Health Department says that at this point, 36 people have been documented who tested positive for coronavirus after voting in that primary. So we know that it has caused illness that probably would not have been caused if the Republicans in the Supreme Court or in the um, State House of Wisconsin did not force the face-to-face -face vote. Uh, that particular judge that I mentioned a moment ago wrote an op-ed yesterday uh, or the day before in the New York Times her name, uh, just for the record, is uh, Jill Karfosky, Karo Fosky. 
And she writes this in her op-ed. She says that, um, quote, I find it unconscionable that Wisconsin voters were forced to choose between their safety and having their voices heard in our democracy. The right to vote is fundamental to the American creed. Courts making partisan decisions, sending people out to vote in the middle of a global pandemic is exactly what's wrong with a judiciary that has become too political and I think a deliberate attempt to suppress the vote in Wisconsin. Powerful, powerful words. Unconscionable. And I have to agree with this. And I hope this is something that we get very serious about right now. If we want to bring the common good, we have to re-identify as citizens, both in defining what that means as a citizen, and especially defining and fighting for and working for the right to vote. And in this case, it looks like because of the predictions for the coronavirus in the fall, election day in November, we need to get voting by mail, we need to get now in place protections that will permit people to vote confidently and people to vote safely. Because being a citizen, the heart of being a citizen, it's not the only thing. You got to do more than vote, but you have to be able to vote, period. I mean, think about it. People in this country have fought and died in the civil rights movement, most recently, um, about 100 years ago now, in the women's suffrage movements, and even before that, in allowing votes to people who were non-property holders, allowing votes to people that weren't white and wealthy, because those were the first voters in the United States. It's in the Constitution, right? So the key, I think, with this word, citizen, is understanding what that means, supporting people like Governor DeWine, who also had an article today in the New York Times talking about his popularity, talking about how he is bold enough as a Republican to break from President Trump and to show what leadership looks like. And I think back to where this started, I think Governor DeWine's identifying people as citizens and not just even um, my base, which the president seems to talk a lot about. He doesn't use those words, but it's clear who he's speaking to. It's clear who he sees as his... um, people he is most concerned about, Governor DeWine, in calling us all citizens, can certainly see beyond that. So I close this with the question, citizen, what does that mean to you? How do you see your role and responsibility as that particular C word, citizen? You know, one final thought of a C word is consumer, right? We live in a society where it is about consuming and So often, that is the word that is used to describe you and me. But can we shift from that to a better C word, a different C word, which is citizen, and to work for that? As always, thank you so much for listening. Please check out the show notes and my website for links to the articles mentioned. And blessings and peace to you.